Can you use the Lord's Prayer not only as a personal approach to God in your own prayer life, but as a means of showing the uniqueness of Christianity as compared to other major world religions? Yes, you can. And we've been in the midst of a study on that. This is the second episode, and it's really going to be an eye-opening experience. There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar, and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. The Lord's Prayer was constructed by the genius of God. Of course, Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. And the amazing thing about it is he gave us a prayer to pray in full expectation that he would respond and answer. And that makes it all the more powerful. But not only is the Lord's Prayer a gift to the church that shows us a framework of a proper approach to God when we pray, it also contains important facets of doctrine and biblical insight that sets the Christian worldview apart as very unique in the midst of a world full of over 4,000 religions. Think of that. Let me give you some basic information we covered on the last program, because this is the second episode on this subject, but it will stand alone. You don't have to go back and listen to the first one, uh, because we're going to cover some very important stuff right here on this episode. But let's begin by saying there's two times that the Lord's Prayer appears in Scripture. In Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, and then also over in Luke chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. And the Luke account was in response to a request by the disciples, where they said, Lord, teach us to pray. No one asked Jesus to teach them on prayer when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. So that must have been two different times. Apparently, he knew that they had to have this ingrained into their spirit until they really grabbed it. And let me go ahead and quote the prayer once again for you. Jesus said, In like manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Some translations say trespasses. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In the last episode, we covered five out of 12 points, 12 doctrinal issues, 12 doctrinal points that set the Christian worldview apart. We began by mentioning how Jesus told us two ways not to pray, like the prideful Pharisees and also like the heathen that use repetitious prayers. So he never intended for us 
to use the Lord's Prayer in a repetitious kind of way. It's a framework of a proper approach to God. The first five points we covered were the importance of the word our, the importance of seeing the revelation of God as our Father, and that's a very unique part of Christianity. Number three, the relevance of God's location in heaven above us, speaking of his supremacy and dominion and our accountability to him. And then number four, the importance of knowing the correct name, hallowed be your name. And then finally, the correct understanding of the kingdom of God. Now let's move in where we left off. And that is the statement, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now let me start this part of the teaching by using some references to the doctrine found in other religions that show that it's incompatible with the Christian biblical doctrine of knowing and following the will of God. For instance, in the Baha'i faith, which is an offshoot of Islam, although they would not call themselves an offshoot of Islam, they believe their religion was birthed by revelation still, they believe and teach that God cannot be known or experienced on a personal level. And so his will cannot be known individually, uniquely in a person's life, according to Baha'i. I go into a lot of the various beliefs in the Baha'i faith in my book, In Search of the True Light. And if you've never ordered a copy, you should. And it's available as an ebook too. Another uh, one that we need to cover is Buddhism and a similar religion, Jainism. Both of those do not recognize a creator God to whom we are accountable, a supreme being to whom we should be submitted. And so a Buddhist would never pray, your will be done in my life. A Jainist would never pray, your will be done in my life, because they have no concept of a supreme God who resides in a position of authority to whom we are accountable. And there is no concept of doing the will of God. What about Islam? Now, Islam's different quite a bit different than the ones I've mentioned so far because the primary emphasis in Islam is submission to the will of God. In fact, that's what the word Islam means. It means submission. And you'll often hear a Muslim say, if Allah wills, if Allah wills, because it's such a central issue in Islam. Islamic belief in the Islamic belief system that you must do the will of God. So really, they're closer to Christianity than just about any other religion I could mention. However, their concept of the will of God is much different than our concept as Christians because, for instance, in one particular area, Islam teaches something called the five pillars of Islam that are necessary in order for a Muslim to be, quote-unquote, saved. 
Number one is Shahada, which is the daily confession that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. The second pillar of Islam is Salat, which is prayer toward Mecca five times every day. And I really respect them for that kind of commitment. I like to see Christians that pray as much as Muslims, and it's somewhat of a pitiful thing that that's often not the case. Number three, Ramadan is also required of Muslims who seek to do the will of Allah. And Ramadan is the month of fasting from sunup till sundown. There are certain restrictions on them. And then uh, also you have zakat, which is 2.5% of their income that is given to charity. And finally, every Muslim, if at all possible, is supposed to uh, take a hajj or a pilgrimage to Mecca sometime during his or her life. All of those comprise the five primary things necessary to fulfill the will of God in the Islamic faith. And of course, none of those are a part of the biblical faith. We do uh, believe in prayer and we believe in walking in intimacy with God through prayer, but it's not regimented in the same way it is in that particular worldview. Now, in the new age, in new age spirituality, and incidentally, the word new age is from an astrological worldview. Those who believe in astrology believe we're moving from the Piscean age into the age of Aquarius, which is supposed to be an age of enlightenment on the planet where everyone walks in God consciousness and peace reigns on the earth. Now, that sounds wonderful and desirable, However, God consciousness in a New Age worldview means a conscious awareness that you are God, which is absolutely the antithesis of the truth. But one of the primary beliefs you find under the heading New Age is something called the law of attraction. And in the law of attraction, God is relegated to an inferior position. God is just an energy force that you manipulate or control with the right kind of incantation or repetitive thoughts or repetitive confessions. And the more you dominate your thought life with a certain expectation, dominating your words with a certain declaration, the more the universe will be compelled to submit to your wishes. So in the new age, it's not about you doing the will of God. It's about God doing your will. It's a flip-flop. It's totally opposite. Sometimes I think modern Christianity has lost its moorings and heads a similar kind of direction when they think, and and really I believe in positive confession. I believe in confessing the word of God. I believe in speaking with authority. I believe what you say is what you get in many ways. If it aligns with the word of God, it's not controlling God, but being in cooperation with God. And there's a very fine line between the two. And I do a teaching on that. You should search it out on uh, the difference between the new age approach to positive confession and the biblical approach. But uh, I do believe some Christians get to the point where they feel like God just exists to meet their needs. 
many years ago, I won't mention the specific individuals, but many, many years ago, God spoke to me about the fall of a particular ministry. And he told me that ministry would collapse because it was too Ptolemaic. And that was a mysterious statement to me. And I love it when God speaks to me and I have no idea what he's talking about because that's all the more a way I can tell it is God. And so I looked up Ptolemaic and it meant of or relating to the teachings of Ptolemy. Mm, That took me deeper. Then I started searching into that and found out there were several historical figures named Ptolemy. But the primary one I believe God was referring to was a second century astronomer and geographer who taught that the earth was the center of the solar system and the sun revolved around the earth, which is a complete reversal of the true order of our solar system. It's not uh, earth-centric, it's heliocentric or sun-centric. And God said this, this wave that was going through the body of Christ at the time uh, of an excessive view of prosperity. I believe in a balanced view of prosperity, and I have an article on that on the truelight.net under biblical writings. And you should go there if you're interested in that subject. That's the truelight.net and look under biblical writings. But this was taking it too far. I didn't hear much about consecration. I didn't hear much about dying to self. I didn't hear much about being crucified with Christ. But I heard a whole lot about wealth being accumulated through faith. And it was tipping the scale too far that direction. And the teaching in Christianity was becoming Ptolemaic, a reversal of the true order. Instead of me saying, God, let me do your will, I was, in essence, if I was of that mindset, I was saying, God, you do my will. You minister to me. You meet my need. You be my provider. Well, he is your provider, but there's a balance in the relationship, and it can't tip too far the other direction, or it becomes Ptolemaic. You become the center, and God revolves around you instead of God being at the center and you revolving around his will being done in your life. It's very critical to get that right because Matthew 7, 21, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. So it's a critical issue. And I believe when he made that statement, he was primarily speaking about the necessity of doing God's will in our approach to salvation, in our approach to coming back into a relationship with God. We have to submit to God's divine design, which is the experience of being born again, and not use all these methods and means that different people suggest will bring us into intimacy with God, divorced from Scripture. You won't find it in the Bible. If it's not in the Bible, leave it alone because there's some kind of spurious doctrine, most likely, that won't get you anywhere. But the Bible tells us how to discover the will of God. And of course, it starts with the Word of God, because the Word of God reveals the will of God. The only way you know my will is if I express it to you in my words. 
And if I were to say, I'm thirsty, please bring me a glass of water, then you know my will, and therefore you can do it because you heard my word. Well, in like manner, one basic foundational way of discovering the will of God is to learn the written word of God. And people don't read the Bible for the most part. Many Christians do not read the Bible the way they need to. That's a treasure, a treasury of divine revelation. Don't neglect it. Don't spend more time watching television than you do absorbing the revelation of God's word because there's layers of revelation. You can read the same passage 30 years and get new, fresh insights out of it. But then there's also something called the living word, which is the rhema word of God. You've got the logos, that's the written word, and the rhema, that's the living word. That's God's personal communications to you on an individual basis. And you need to build your life around the written word, that's your foundation, and then the living word. And if you don't have divine direction, seek him until you receive it. I've gone sometimes months, even years, intermittent fasting, three days, seven days, 21 days, what have you, seeking God for his will before he spoke to me in a very profound way. So it's not always something easy to find, but it is wonderfully precious when it comes and powerfully applicable to all your choices in life. Then you have a purpose and you go after that purpose. And here's the way to discover the will of God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. You can only do this if God mercifully empowers you to do it. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's not an unreasonable demand on God's part. And then it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a necessary component. And then it says that you may prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I've heard many people teach on that two-verse passage of Scripture and say there's three different categories, the good will of God, the acceptable will of God, and the perfect will of God. But I believe all three are one that the only good and acceptable expression of the will of God is the perfect will of God. And I've often said the perfect will of God, nothing less, nothing more, nothing else is acceptable in my life. So you have two keys there. You present your body a living sacrifice. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you become more enlightened concerning the will of God. And then you can pray the Lord's Prayer by connecting it to his written word and to the living word revelations you've received in your life. See, when you pray, you ought to rehearse in the ears of God things he's spoken to you and then say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. So it becomes not only a request, but an affirmation and a command to all the satanic agenda that's trying to prevent the will of God from coming to pass in your life. All of that is wonderful. And we see the challenge of 
submitting to the will of God when we look at Jesus in Gethsemane. Don't tell me that was easy for him when he groaned in agonizing prayer and bloody sweat oozed out of his pores as he prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done and submitted to his destiny to go to the cross. So if it caused that kind of pain, emotional and mental pain and struggle for the firstborn son of God who was perfect in all his ways, how much more is finding and fulfilling the will of God going to be a challenge for you and I? And yet it's the only thing worth going after in life. Everything else will fizzle out and be no more and pass away with the passing away of time. But he who does the will of God shall abide forever. And the things that are done in the will of God shall abide forever. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then that key statement, on earth as it is in heaven. There's something very similar that New Agers say quite a lot. In fact, um, Helena Blavatsky popularized this statement, as above, so below. And it was a declaration that the dimensions or planes of existence would be in harmony, and not only in a personal way, but in a global sense, as above, so below. And that's similar, but watch the way it's worded. That puts as above first and then below second. That's domination. That's domination. But Jesus said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Earth comes first because that's a request not for domination, but submission out of love, not control. And there's a difference between the two. It was also a reference to an astrological worldview because people into New Age spirituality tend to believe in astrology and they believe the stars guide our destiny. I'd rather believe that the one who created the stars guides our destiny. But by saying as above, so below, they're saying that the stars of the heavens should be in control of our lives and of the destiny, not only of individuals, but of nations and the world as a whole. I don't believe that, of course. There's a huge difference between the two approaches. And yet, the enemy is a counterfeiter. And look at how close that is. As above, so below, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It sounds almost completely the same, but it's not. It is not. In fact, for New Agers and Hindus, that statement, as above, so below, is a declaration of a belief called monism. And monism is the idea that everything is of one essential substance. And also pantheism, that the universe is an emanation of God. Everything came out from God, but now we have everything covered over with delusion. We think these temporary things are really what we should go after in life. And to say as above, so below is to say let the original source that permeates everything be fully manifested. Well, that's an impersonal life force. That's not a personal God to whom we are lovingly submitted. There's a difference between the two. But you can't really know the will of God without true salvation. You have to be born again. Uh, maybe uh, in unique ways, God will reveal his will in a spotty way 
to those that are not yet in a covenant relationship with him to guide them, to lead them that direction. All right, let's get to the statement, give us this day our daily bread. Believing for divine provision. In Buddhism and Jainism, once again, there's no supreme being, there's no creator to whom we can appeal, and so there would be no expectation for a daily provision of natural bread or spiritual bread in expectation in the heart of a Jainist or a Buddhist. It's absent. In deism, which some of the founding fathers embraced, God is not really personally involved in the lives of human beings. He created the universe, but then kind of stepped back and let it evolve on its own. Uh, or develop on its own would be a better word choice. But Jesus promised that the heavenly father is cognizant of even the sparrow that falls and that he takes care of the lilies. He clothes them with a beautiful garment of flowery beauty and he he feeds the, the sparrows. Of course, he doesn't hand feed them. He provides an environment in which they can find their food, right? And so it's kind of a a veiled way of providing for the sparrow. It's a veiled way of providing for the beautiful lily and clothing it with such a spectacular, lovely appearance. We don't recognize it immediately as God, and yet God's behind the expression of beauty, and God's behind the creation of an environment that can cause a sparrow to be sustained and live on. And often God hides himself in our life in his divine provision. In fact, David said, the Lord is among those who help me. In other words, he's saying people are helping me in different ways, but I recognize it's not really them. It's God motivating them. It's God blessing me through them. There's plenty of biblical examples of God providing. What about Elijah being fed by the ravens? What about Mary, the mother of Jesus, when he was on the cross, he told John, behold your mother and made sure she had a place to stay. So he didn't actually build the house himself, but he orchestrated a situation where she would be provided for by another human being. Can you see how that works? Or what about when he supernaturally multiplied the loaves and the fishes? Now, sometimes God just blatantly, miraculously manifest himself. I can tell you some personal stories if I had time. But one thing I'm sure of, he said, the hairs of your head are all numbered. Do you realize how many tens of thousands of hairs are on a normal adult human being's head? And God said they're numbered and not one hair can fall out without a renumbering of the hairs on your scalp. That's how detailed God is in his knowledge of your life. And a loving heavenly father is a provider. Give us this day our daily bread. That means more than just food on my table. That means emotional sustenance, mental sustenance, spiritual sustenance, supernatural revelation, living bread that comes down from heaven. And then, of course, we get to the wonderful, wonderful passage that says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That line in the Lord's Prayer is one that really I trip over sometimes. 
because it hinges forgiveness coming from God toward me on forgiveness flowing out of me toward others. Wow. So I had better learn how to forgive because it's not only important for them that I forgive, it's more important for me that I forgive. And on the next episode, I'm going to start out with this part of the Lord's Prayer on forgive us our debts as we forgive others, uh, those who are indebted to us. And I'm also going to include in it a story of how Elizabeth received a creative miracle the very moment she forgave someone who had been very hard and uh, very ungodly in the treatment she received from that person. And when she released that person and forgave that person, bam, her miracle came. And I'm going to tell you all about it on the next episode. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.